Adding the choice of a crispy chicken BLT to Wendy's 4 for 4 is the biggest thing since rappers trying to sing. I got me out and I sound like a robot. But do you like the sound of this? Wendy's 4 for 4 now comes with a choice of a junior bacon cheeseburger or a crispy chicken BLT. From Detroit to Macon, I keep it crisp like bacon. Both are topped with crispy applewood smoked bacon and come with four nuggets, fries, and a Coke for just four bucks. Oh, yeah. At participating Wendy's for a limited time, meal includes small fries and a drink. Not valid in Alaska and Hawaii. Good morning, everyone, and thank you for joining me again this morning on Next on the T. I'm your host, Chris Mascaro, and today I have the honor of having with me Eric Johnson. Eric is one of the top 100 golf instructors, as named by Golf Magazine, and the director of instruction at a course that's on my bucket list, and I'm sure on every amateur golfer's bucket list uh, around the world, Oakmont Country Club, just outside of my hometown in Pittsburgh. Eric's going to be joining me in just a moment. But before we get started, we want to kick off the show like we do every single week here by saluting the brave men and women serving in our military and everyone listening in on the Armed Forces Sports Radio Network. We thank you for your daily sacrifices and all you do to keep the rest of us safe. We also want to thank those of you who, who have served or are currently serving in every branch of the military and public service. We truly appreciate what you do every day to preserve our freedoms and our liberties. It's through your strength and efforts that our way of life is even possible. Our sincere thanks as well to Stephen Lee, Dennis Farrell, and all the folks at Armed Forces Sports Radio. It's an honor for us to be a part of your network. You can find our show by going to armedforcesportsradionetwork.org, and you're going to find us on Internet sites everywhere. You'll find us on Spreaker. You'll find us on Blog Talk Radio. You'll find us on TuneIn. You'll find us on Stitcher and Player.fm, all those wonderful places that you can go out and, and uh, stream or download our show as well as iTunes. Uh, please sure, be also sure to, to, to give our friends a follow on Twitter at the AFRN for the Armed Forces Radio Network. I also want to mention our good friends Mike Novaks, Ben Kerr, Mark Modeski, and the great staff of writers over at LastWordOnSports.com. Check them out online and on Twitter. Their site is fantastic, folks. I'm telling you, it contains great content across every sport. Their staff of writers are wonderful. You're going to love going to their site every day to get your sports news. If you haven't been there yet, check it out and then bookmark it. LastWordOnSports.com. All right, now joining me on the Kyvan Foods guest line is Eric Johnson. Let me give you some background on Eric. He was a four-year letterman at Mississippi State from 1992 to 1995, and he remains in their top 20 all-time for most rounds played. Graduated with his degree in professional golf management, he has been the director of instruction at Oakmont Country Club since 2004. He's Golf Magazine's, uh, one of Golf Magazine's top 100 teachers, and he's been on that list every year since 2011. He was also recognized by Golf Digest as a top 40 under 40 teacher. He is a three-time Tri-State PGA Teacher of the Year. He is also a two-time Horton Smith Award winner for his contributions to education. He sits on the advisory staff for TaylorMade Adidas Golf, 
played on the Canadian Tour, the Sunshine Tour, and the Golden Bear Tour, and I'm really excited to have him with me next on the tee this morning. Good morning, Eric. Thanks for being hey. here. Hey, Chris. Thanks for having me. What a nice intro, and uh, I can only stress thanks again to the troops out there, everybody. Thanks a lot. Thanks for doing what you guys are doing. There you go. So, Eric, I'm down here in Atlanta, sort of the heart of SEC country, if you will. You Absolutely. played your golf in the SEC. So, hey, what what led to your decision to actually play golf, you know, down here in at Mississippi State? You know, it was crazy. It was a it was a great decision for me. I ended up going through the PGM program down at Mississippi State, and uh, you know, to be in the SEC was awesome. I mean, the spirit down there. You know, you go to one football game, you understand what it's all about. But uh, right, it was a heck of a deal. I played against. You know, when I was playing, you know, David Duvall was down there at uh, Georgia Tech, and. Stuart Sink, who's still a still a pal of mine, he's a great man, great man, heck of a win at the British Open there. Uh, right, but uh, heck of a, heck of a guy, heck of, heck of a great great season down there. So, you know, I, I'm you know, <clears throat> I'm sure you were you know, you were proud to be you know an, an SEC alum, a Mississippi State alum, and we look at the state of golf, right? You know, yeah. Alabama just won the golf national championship. So I, I'm curious, are you happy that an SEC team won it? Or do you hate it that it was one of your rivals? Oh, you know that saying. I'm not sure I'm allowed to say it. I'm from Mississippi State. Go to, you know, somewhere Alabama. But I'm happy at SEC <laughs> Team 1. But, you know, wish it were Mississippi State. But obviously I'll go with I'll go with Alabama. they got a heck of a program there. They are just kicking butt. And uh, they are, they look, they just, their teams coming in just look phenomenal. So I don't see them losing for a while. I think they're going to be there for a while. All right. I looked, you know, Eric, I looked back at some of the tournaments you played in on the various tours that you had the opportunity to play on. And at the, the 2001 Canadian PGA Championship, you finished in the top 20. Now, you, you, you mentioned, you know, some of the players that you played with at college. Now, Richard Zirkel won that event, but you finished, you know, higher than, you know, some pretty notable players in that event. You know, Morris Sitalski, Chad Campbell, Matt Kuchar, Heath Slocum, Ben Crane, Larry Rinker, just to name a few. So when you look at the, you know, the stature of competition that, you know, you played with and finished higher then, I had to give you some confidence about, you know, your ability to play at that level and just about your game in general. Yeah, you know, I mean, it did. I, you know, when I look back on it, I look at some of the guys, you know, when you're playing, you know, when you're playing against David Duvall and, and Justin Leonard and some of these great Stuart Sink, I mean, Stuart, all these guys were good. You, you know, I just don't, I don't think we ever thought, you know, David Duvall would be number one in the world and, you know, sure enough, Stuart Sink would have been majors. You know, I mean, just we just—I right. don't think we thought like that. But uh, looking back on it now, I kind of go, "Wow, that was pretty cool." There were some great, great players there. You know, I had a pretty, pretty average career playing-wise. I mean, it was—I uh, kind of ran out of money and kind of ran out of golf swing there at the end. But uh, you know, I mean, I was playing okay, and I think that you know, I made the—I made a poor decision, which I see so many great players do. You know, I'm. I figured it out. I said, you know, I need one stroke off my stroke average. If I can get my stroke average to 70.5 instead of 71.5, I'm going to have a heck, of a, a heck of a career. So I went and changed teachers, and, you know, to me, we tried to do a, you know, a complete overhaul when maybe all I needed was, an, a, you know, a oil change, and I really kind of messed my golf swing up, and it really kind of put me out for a while. Uh, for a while, I couldn't find, the, find my golf ball. And uh, that's tough to play, but uh, so when you're out there and you you try to and you think about don't make the same mistake I did if you if you need to get a stroke or two off your you know a handicap just go right to short game don't don't you're obviously playing good you're obviously you know doing you're playing professionally right. you mean you're doing something right 
And I think that so many people, I mean, I think you draw a parallel of the Tiger with this. I mean, the way Tiger has changed his golf swing for the last, you know, seven to ten years is, you know, beyond belief. You know, the, the 2000 Tiger was, was I think, unbeatable. Uh, I mean, you look at the stats, I mean, the control he had, I don't think anyone could beat him at that point. When he was on, right. no one could even touch him. You don't win an Open by 15 and a and a British by 12 and not be doing something right. I mean, right. to try to change that, oh, what a shame. That's too bad. Right. You know, I, we had Bobby Clampett on the show uh, probably about a month or so ago, and Bobby said something very similar, that, you know, he, he started getting so much advice. When, when things started to go wrong a little bit for him in his golf swing, he got so much advice and tried to change so many things that it really, you know, destroyed his career. You know, obviously he tried to go back you know, eventually to, you know, his roots and his foundation from where he started. But, you know, to your point, when you get that much input, you know, how difficult is it to kind of sort through it? Because I'm, I'm imagining that that much input, you know, some of the things are contradictory to other things. It's got to, you know, you got to have so much going on in your mind and so many swing thoughts that, you know, you're just a mess out there. No question about it. I mean, you cannot play that way. Uh, you know, I mean, we, we all instinctively have that inner, you know, inner person that inner golf swing in our in our in our dna it's just it's in there and to to totally change what was working so well is just it still blows my mind that that what he did with this you know i mean if it was me if i was tigers you know you know advisors i'd tell him to call butch Harmon right now immediately and go back i mean and see if we can salvage some of this but he has wasted think of it think of the time that he has wasted trying to get better so to speak and how many majors he's not even competed in because he couldn't. You know, I mean, to me, it's a, it's a mind-boggling thing. Don't, you don't have to change everything. You know, he's obviously great. Uh, he was obviously great before that. Why try to change greatness? I, I, I still am failing to see this. I want to get better. I, I got it. I understand that, you know, you want to improve. But how about improve upon what you're doing right now that got you all these right. majors? You know, it got to right. 15 majors, 14 majors, whatever it was. I mean, why change that? Yeah, no. It makes it, no it, sense. It, 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 yeah, it makes no sense to me either. You know, and to your point about going back to Butch Harmon, that, obviously that's a, you know, something that's in the whisper and the wind out there. And you know, you got to wonder if you know someone like Tiger could you know swallow his pride and go back and and, and that sort of thing. But I think you're 100% right. You know, I don't think boy. it'll ever happen. I don't think it'll ever happen. Yeah. I think that probably one of the other things that happened was when. You know, Mickelson got with uh, Butch Harmon, and I, I, you know what, you know, I, they've got to be sitting back there giggling today, you know, because of <laughs> all the success that he's had, that Phil's had, and I'm sure there was a little bit of a, hey, listen, you know, they're, you know, this is purely speculation, but there yep. had to have been something, listen, if, if I come to you, you're not taking Tiger back, because <laughs> I think that was another way he knew he wasn't going to beat him, but purely speculation. <laughs> right, right. So, Eric, like I said, I'm, I'm from Pittsburgh, so as you can imagine, you know, Oakmont is not only on my bucket list to play, but as a Jack Nicklaus fan and the, you know, the 1962 U.S. Open being yeah. there, you know, it's, it's, you know, has a very special place in my heart, not only from Pittsburgh, like I say, and, and Nicklaus's first major win. Can you speak to the history of Oakmont? Well, I mean, it's incredible. You think of 1962, like you're talking about, Arnold Palmer, you know, facing Jack Nicholas, Jack in his first professional major, and, and to have Jack win, you know, it was beyond belief. Uh, you know, I mean, 
when I was sitting with Mr. Palmer recently, he was still talking about, yeah, I had 11 three-putts there that week, and Jack didn't have any. I outball striked him. It was hilarious to have, uh, you know, your, your living legend of Arnold right. Palmer telling you stories about when he played against Jack 50 years ago and right. uh, in the Open. And, you know, I mean, some of the great champions we've had here, I mean, Sarazen, Sneed, Nicholas, uh, Johnny Miller, Angel Cabrera, right. you know, I mean, you name them, they've been here. Uh, Hogan, okay, I forget Mr. Hogan, but incredible, incredible names, incredible history. Every time I pull through the gate, I'm I'm just amazed that I'm here and been here for 11 years now, and I was an assistant from 94 to 97, so I've been here a long time, and it's been uh, it's been great to feel, you know, every day that you're here, you feel the history of Oakmont. There's no question about it. Yeah, so that's that's what I'm curious about when you're when you do go through the gates or you know you're you know whether you're in the in the clubhouse looking out over the over the you know course or you know you're about to put a tee in the ground off the first tee and you're walking that golf course. Can you feel the history when you're looking around and think about you know Hogan played here to your point you know Palmer and Nicholas all the all the great players that played there. But then I'm sure you've heard the legends about you know so and so hit a shot on this hole and what that was like. Can you feel that history when you're walking around? There's, there's no question about it. No question about it. I mean, it's it, our the club historian has done such a great job to get you know all the memorabilia on the wall, and you can't help but feel the history of this place. Every time you walk through the locker room, every time you walk around, you know Hogan. They always said Hogan on eight used to hit it right in front of the green on number eight, and you know putted for par. He never wanted to take it on, and so you hear all these great stories. You hear the stories of Bobby Jones, you know, and the amateur, you know, stayed upstairs in room one. And his competitor was in room two, and he stopped him going out the door because this guy was a night owl. And he said, listen, I want your best game tomorrow. You're not going out with this girl tonight. You're staying in tonight. And, you know, I mean, the <laughs> stories of that, that he's staying upstairs. Uh, and I stayed up there, and you know, they say he's running around up there as ghosts. I didn't see him, but they say he's up there somewhere. <laughs> I didn't see him, though. <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned about sitting with Mr. Palmer recently. How often yeah. does Mr. Palmer still come out to the course? And when he's there... Is it like holding court? You got you know him sitting in the clubhouse with I, I can just imagine you know lots of people sitting around and listening to him share stories from his career. Yeah, uh, it's you know we don't get to see him as much anymore. He doesn't come up as much as he used to, and uh, and we miss him up here. We we wish he would come over, but uh, you know he stays up at Latrobe a lot more. Uh, still a lot of gas in the tank, but I think he's slowing down a touch. But uh, we wish he would come up. But you know we we played in the Palmer Cup matches, and and Mr. Palmer has the Palmer Cup matches here, which are the top, you know, professionals versus the top amateurs in the section. And he'll play. He used to play up in the matches up until a couple of years ago, and he'd play in the afternoon, you know, matches, and it was great to have your living legend there. Right. And he would tell the stories of, you know, I mean, heck, you know, he and he and Hogan didn't seem to really hit it eye to eye. Right. And he used to he used to call him fella. He wouldn't even call him Palmer or Arnie or anything. He'd call him, hey, fella. And, uh... To hear those stories about how he, you know he was telling the story about how they played in the match and and Palmer said he I won two or three tournaments before that and I was playing you know I was tired I was exhausted they said you know are you going to play a match with you know Hogan at ten o'clock he said I'm not playing he said no you're playing so I said all right I'm playing so he said I hooked it all around the place he said I was that was awful and then I birdied the last three and we won the match so I come in and I'm sitting down and Hogan walks in right past me, puts his back to me, and sits at the next table. And he said he wouldn't even sit with me because I said I hit it so bad. (laughs) 
He said he couldn't. He was so mad that he lost to that. But uh, I mean, to hear those stories coming straight from the man's mouth, they're just uh, just awesome. What a what a what a what a human being. What a tremendous man he is. No doubt. So I imagine when when you're when you meet people and tell you know talk about you know where you are you know the the director of instruction. I'm picturing sort of a Joey from Friends moment. You say, hey, you know, Eric, where where are you from? Oh, Oakmont Country. Go. Oh, Oakmont. How you doing? Yeah, 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 yeah. I got a lot of friends. Uh, Yeah, yeah. I bet you do. Yeah, yeah. No, it's it's quite a place. I mean, it's uh, the history of this place, like you've talked about, it's incredible, and it's on everybody's bucket list. It's quite a golf course. I mean, it's it's so hard, you know. I mean, and it just keeps getting harder. The USGA and our grounds committee, they keep coming up with ways to make it harder. And I said, now wait a minute, we six over (laughs) won the Open last year. Do we need to make it harder? These guys come once a week. We got to play it once every ten years. We got to play it every week. You know what? What are you doing to us here? But right. It's a it's a it's a brutally hard golf course, it, but it yeah, so when it when it's in its perfect shape, it's it's unbeatable. Yeah, so I mean, I, I gotta imagine, you know, for for you know the everyday members and however many you know you have out there for the guys that get the opportunity to play it on a fairly regular basis. I mean, if you know, to your point, six over won the Open last time. I mean, what's it like for the for the daily guy to try to play that thing? Well, I mean, everybody, you know, so many people, so many people, when they bring their guests out here, they say, I want to go right back to the back tee. And we say, well, okay, try, try one hole and then move right back up to the blues. It's just an impossible golf course. You can't finish. So, I mean, it's, it's just so hard. Uh, I've never seen a golf course that's so penal. If you just hit a little bit of a bad shot, you are in bad shape. It's a stroke lost. It really is. It's that hard. And it is a true story that they did have to uh, slow the greens up for the open. We had them so fast that they said, listen, these are too fast. you got you got The last couple that we've had, you have to slow wow. these things down. Yeah, that's a true story. That That is a true story. I'm not we sure there's many places that can say that, but we can. No, I'm sure there aren't. You know, the course can, you know, consistently ranks in the top five courses, you know, in the country. And, the, the you know, the, there's a couple of, you know, interesting nuances about Oakmont for, for those, you know, who aren't as familiar with it. First, you know, you've got, um, you've got virtually no water on the golf course. And then really since, what, 2007, no trees, right? Yeah, yeah, we did a huge renovation to uh, kind of restore the – Restore the golf course back to where it used to be, and back in the the early 50s, there was a man named Fred Brand, and they, they had a tree fund, uh, of all things. I, I believe they owned an interest in a nursery or something, but they, they got this fund together, and they said, wouldn't it be great if we had a whole bunch of trees on here? And they planted trees, and those trees grew and, and grew and grew and grew, and, and they overtook the golf course. And it was uh, it was very, very inundated with trees. And so... Back in uh, even before the 2000 or 19 let's see 94 open right after the 94, the USGA kind of said, "Boy, wouldn't it be cool if we kind of got this place back to where it used to be?" And from then, you know, we used to we boy, I wish I had stock and chainsaws back then. We were going through we we cut over <laughs> 10,000 trees down. You know, I moved to the and they do some at night. You know, they have phase two, phase three, all this night. You know, I mean, they literally go out with the lights, cut down trees. And you'd come walking by, they'd have it sodded. You'd walk by, and you go, "Wait a minute, wasn't there a tree here?" I mean, it was it was that secretive, <laughs> kind of how they were doing it. I mean, you'd be like, "Wait, I swear to God, there was a tree here yesterday, but it's gone." 
Well, we've uh, we have we've totally taken every tree out. Like you said, there's not one speck of water on the golf course. No ponds, no streams, nothing. And it's still it's still that hard. But but like you said, no trees now. Yeah. So the thing that's the staple, right, that you see all the pictures of when you're looking at, at things from Oakmont are are the church pew bunkers that come into play yeah. on three and four. What yeah. what was the thought process, do you know, behind, you know, putting those things in and, and how difficult is it once you get in there? Yeah, you know, once you're there, you just got to, you know, suck it up and take your medicine and get out. You know, I mean, there's that great picture of Palmer in 83 where he's hitting out of there, and, you know, he's not right. going for the green. He's, he is hitting it out. And uh, But once you're in there, you got to take your medicine and just get out. It, it is, you can't you can't do it. You know, and Henry Phones, the designer, uh, you know, 1903, hard to imagine that he would come up with such a masterpiece. And that was his only one that he did. He helped out on Pine Valley. Not right. many people know that. He helped out on Pine Valley. Oh, okay. He, uh, you know, that was his only one that he took credit for, and then he ended up quitting the club because they put in a pool. So <laughs> he was a strict <laughs> golfer. He didn't want any part of this country club. He wanted a golf club, and he ended up quitting the club. That's a true story because they put in a pool. Yeah. So, you know, you've already talked about the speed of the greens, but, you know, when you when you think about Oakmont with no water, now no trees, um, it seems like the greens are the thing you've got to learn to be successful at Oakmont, sort of similarly to, you know, what it takes to be successful at Augusta National. So exactly. when, when guys are coming out there to prepare for, for an open or, you know, any sort of major event, are they pulling you aside to understand and say, look, Eric, give me a little help here. Tell me, because the greens slope, right, away from the fairway. So you got oh, that God, going yeah. for you too, right? Yeah. You know, I, I've, I've gone out with some of the guys and, you know, during the practice rounds and, you know, especially some of the girls, you know, when we had the ladies open it out and talked about the greens and talked about, you know, some of the places to hit it and where you can make pars from and where you can't. And those are those are the big things. I mean, when Mickelson was here, he and Dave Pels, they went out. They went out at 7 o'clock on the backside, and they charted every green. They have this stint meter uh, gauge that they take around, and they're measuring every spot and every hole, and they're measuring the the slopes and the angles. And, I mean, I, it was kind of borderline too much. You know, I mean, he spent the entire yeah. day. He went back out at 2, and they finished at 7.30. I mean, he, you know, he came in about noon and, went back about two and then did the front side. I mean, to, to get all this charting of the greens, the, I mean, he literally spent an entire day on the greens, just putting, chipping to wow. them, and, uh, you know, didn't hit a full shot all day long, just putted and chipped all day long. Now, Tiger, Tiger, you know, he'll have his yardage book in his hand, and he'll putt one-handed, and he'll look at, you know, the slopes, and he'll say, okay, yeah, I see that, yeah, I see that. So to see the two, two totally different, uh, methods were pretty pretty unbelievable. I mean, Tiger literally putted with one hand, looked at the yardage book, and just started putting. And you know, and then here's Dave Pels and Bones uh, Bones McKay, uh, Phil's caddy, and Phil and right. and Eddie Pels, uh, Dave Pels' son. They're out there. They're out there all day long charting these greens. And uh, you know, I almost kind of wonder if that's too much info. You know, I mean, when you watch Phil putt, you don't see Phil make a lot of great short putts. I mean, he misses a lot of speed. Is very very fast, very aggressive. And right. I'm not sure if he's a truly a great short putter. That's not to say he's not one of the best putters I've ever seen, but I think he misses a lot of short putts that right. uh, maybe his speed's just a little too fast. You know, and I don't know if it's just overload on, 
information or if it's just uh, he just gets a little frisky with them and wants to pound them in there, I don't know. But his speed to me just looks a little little fast. Yeah, no, I mean, obviously, you know, we've seen, you know, Phil this year, you know, with a couple of different, you know, putting grips, right? And he went to the claw yeah, for, yeah. for a minute and, and uh, mm-hmm. you know, that's, that's sort of a confidence thing. But uh, at least he got it going there for a minute at the uh, at the PGA Championship a couple of weeks ago. It'll be interesting to see yeah. how he does this week at the Barclays and throughout uh, the rest of the FedEx Cup playoffs. Yeah. Um, I've, I've got to imagine you have some good stories about guys, you know, as we've talked about the bucket list, guys getting out the, you know, getting the opportunity to get out there and play for the very first time. What are what are some of the things you've seen guys do or some of the funny stories that you might have seen for guys that, you know, get that dream opportunity to tee it up at Oakmont? Well, I mean, it's so funny. A lot of guys, you know, a lot of guys, guests will show up there for the first time. It'll be pouring down rain, and they're sitting there, you know, looking like, please, can we play? Please, can we play? You know, and it's, uh, it's a heartbreaker to <laughs> right. see it when it does rain. But, you know, we've had uh, we've had people show up three, four hours early, you know, hitting balls, and they're so worn out by the time they get to the first tee, they're done, you know. But uh, <laughs> we've, had, we've had some great, great people, you know, met some great people that have played here, and, uh, and you know, you think of so many Fortune 500 companies and you know CEOs that have played, and had President Bush here last year, and that was great to Is see that him right? and meet him. Yeah, yeah, he was terrific man. I mean, if people could see that man instead of what he was portrayed in the media, if you could have seen him that day, he was just in his element. I've never seen a more gracious wow. man in my life. It was a, uh, is a quick story. He met uh, one of one of our caddies. Says a tremendous, his tremendous stutter. I mean, just can't can't you know poor kid can't get it out of his mouth and yeah. when he met george he started doing the you know and right. you know george put his arm around him and held him by the shoulder and said listen and, and looked him straight in the eye like i will be here with you as long as this takes and as soon as eric got it out it was the coolest thing he said i'd like to get a picture with eric here and they took a picture and and you know he signed it for him and it was just a it was just a really wow. cool deal he, he's a special wow. man. Then after that, after everyone had gotten their picture taken, he whistles over to the caddy yard and says, "Hey, get over here and get your picture." And and I looked at the Secret Service guy. And I'm like, are, "Is this? Are you sure?" <laughs> he goes, "No, it's fine." <laughs> I said, "No, really? Are you sure?" He goes, "No, it's fine." Yeah, yeah. So all the caddies came over and took their picture with George. It was just it was just great. He was a heck of a man. Wow. No, that's a fantastic story. Yeah, yeah. So very cool. Do you? Do you have people that come up to you and have misconceptions of what the course is like? Uh, you know, I think a little bit. I think that, you know, people, when they, you know, we don't, obviously we, we get them, you know, U.S. Open every 10 years or so, so right. a lot of people don't realize how quite how hilly it is. Uh, people don't, and it is very, uh, it's a hilly walk. Uh, you know, when you think going down one and up nine and back down 12, and there's a lot of hills, and, uh, I don't think people realize quite how severe the bunkers are. And, you know, when we get it firm and fast, it's firm and fast. I think a lot of people are, you know, when it's that way, when it's in its really good peak, you know, time, people, people it's an unfamiliar game to try to hit it in, in, front of the, in front of the greens and try to have it run back to it. You know, I mean, it's a very different game. You know, it's a lot of running shots, you know, when it's firm and fast. And we don't yeah. have it like that all the time, unfortunately, but... When it's when it's in its prime, boy, it's a uh, it's a firm, firm, hard golf course. So and I think that's that, one of the hard things people don't people don't know how to play that. Yeah, no, I'm sure that's very true. <clears throat> so you know, to that end, and and firm and fast, and all those sorts of things. When the when the U.S. Open is going to be there, obviously the USGA, 
gets involved. Do they change very much, or you know, you guys have you know been pros at this now for you know 40, 50 years now. So do they come in and just sort of look around, make sure everything's okay, not, nothing really much to add, or are there things that they want you to do? Well, they don't. They don't. Uh, they make suggestions on what they'd like to see. Um, you know, we. You know, Lee Trevino said it best. I think they could. The only place you could ever host an Oakmont with one week, or excuse me, host an Open with one week's notice is Oakmont. And I think that's the case. I think that, you know, we're always really pretty much in championship condition. It's ready to go. I mean, there's not a ton we have to do to it. You know, they did the graduated rough for the Open last time, where it was, you know, went four, six, eight inches. So we changed the little cutting patterns there. Uh, it was so long. We ended up. They ended up cutting it kind of right in front of the open. Our members were a little disappointed. They were like, Wait, we've been playing in this all, all all summer, and then these guys come in and you cut it. Now, what's, not, what's the problem here? But it was. It was a little too severe. But uh, for the most part, there's not a ton of changes we need to do. They're, do, they're, doing a, they're talking about taking out a couple bunkers on 12 in front and uh, right now and maybe extending the ditch on 12 a little bit. And uh, Really not a ton that we're doing. We redid six green a little bit. Uh, we added a shelf kind of in the back right over the bunker there, um, but there's really not much. There's really not much we need to do, and it's just the USGA comes in for you know, about a year and a half, two years in front. Just they're not they're not telling us what to do. They're just trying to watch out, see what's going on, and and we're 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 in good shape. We'll be ready to go for 16. Yeah, no doubt. Um, so, talking about that, you know, 16, are you going to uh, be in the field? <laughs> no, no, my days are over. No, I can't beat the guys in the tri-state section anymore. I, 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 I'm not going to try and take on Tiger. I'll let, I'll let, I'll let the other boys do that. <laughs> no, my days are done. No, I, I wish I, I wish I was. You know, our, our head professional, our director of golf, Bob Ford, played in a bunch of opens and, uh, I hope he gets in. This is he'll be retiring after after that, and uh, you know it'd be a pretty cool way to, for him to go out. Ten-time player of the year, one of the best players I've ever seen in my life. Could have played on tour, should have played on tour, but uh, had an unbelievable run. This is his 35th year as uh, director of golf here at uh, Oakmont, wow. and he's also the head professional at Seminole Golf Club in Florida. So another top ten. You know he's run right. both of them. So quite a, quite a man, quite a man. I'm honored to be here with him. So Eric, like I mentioned in, in your intro, you're, you're, you've been named you know, one of the top 100 instructors by Golf Magazine, Golf Digest, recognizing you as you know, a top 40, under 40. So talk about you know, some of the golf tips. I went out, you know, you've got a wonderful you know, uh, website. We'll talk about that in a minute. But you've got some great videos out there for chipping and putting and uh, things of that nature. So talk, talk a little bit about your instruction and you know, what are some of the things that you see we amateurs do that uh, might be a quick fix for someone listening to to the show this morning and heading out to the links later on. Yeah, well, thanks. I mean, it's been a it's been a it's been an interesting run in the teaching world for me, and I've always enjoyed it. I've always enjoyed tinkering with the golf swing and you know, kind of seeing what works and what doesn't work, and then putting it into play. And I mean, I I I have, like you said, I have played and I've seen what kind of works and what ideas don't work, and I've. You know, I spent a lot of time with sports psychologists, and I've spent a lot of time with uh, a bunch of them. And I, you know, you, you got to find out what works for the player, what, what works out there. You know, as far as my instruction, I'm probably the uh, anti-methodology guy. I, I don't believe that there is a method that works for everybody. You know, I mean, if you look at our our body types, our our, 
or swing sizes. You know, we're all different. We're all different human beings. How can we say everyone should be a stack and tilter, or everybody should do uh, lead better? You know, set it early, turn. You know, forget about it. Yeah, I just, to me, I just don't. I just don't buy into that. I think you have to look at the person that's standing in front of you, and teach the human that's sitting there in front of you. We're not all, you know. I I can't. You know, when you watch, you know, we watch. Now, this is not with disrespect to any other teachers. I mean, the great teachers out there. Don't don't get me wrong, but I just don't think right. that. I just don't think that if you're going to go to Hank Haney and he's going to tell Charles Barkley the same thing, he's going to tell Tiger and everybody else. I just don't know that that's the that's you know what what needs to happen. Now, right? Haney doesn't really do that. I'm just using that as an example. I just uh, and I've got a lot of ton of respect for Hank, and uh, he's a good man. Uh, he's a great man, but. Uh, you know, I just think that you really, when you're getting instruction, you have to, you kind of have to look at the body type, the tendencies, the gait patterns, how we walk, how we, you know, if there's something wrong with the body, and you quickly have to assess the body and, and how how it all can work. I mean, as far as instruction, the, uh, the probably the most common things that I see, and, you know, if you want to improve your short game out there or you want to improve your handicap out there right now today, work on three-foot putts and in. Uh, if you can get those in the hole and inside of five feet, if you can make those more often, you know you'll you'll lower your handicap immediately, immediately, three to five strokes immediately. If you can start being a very, very accomplished short putter, and to me that's about the face. I mean, we right. see all these gadgets about inside the down the line, and we've got the putting arc, and we've got all these gadgets that talk about the path of the golf swing, but. Ninety percent of the population cannot aim the putter face inside the hole from eight feet. Now you start thinking about that. The the ball goes wherever the face goes, especially in putting. And again, ninety ninety percent of putting is the face. It's not the path. I mean, all these new studies about how important the face are out. You know, I mean, there's tons of studies out explaining this, and it is about the face. You can do a lot of bad things in the path of the stroke. But at the moment of impact, the moment of truth, if that putter face is lined up down the target line, the ball will start down the target line, and then it will go in the hole. And, uh, you know, I mean, I, I just think on full swing, you know, I think that uh, people are we're, we're not quite getting the relationship of the grip to the face. I mean, if, if, if the ball, if your ball slices to the right, that means that period, end of story, the face is open to the path. If it's if it's a big hook, it's close to the path of the golf swing. So you've got to get the relationship of, you know, how to square the face, you know, to to the path. If you're really curving the ball, and a lot of times where people, you know, I mean, if, if you're curving it way to the right, if you're in the big slice, you know, you got to strengthen the left hand and really work on getting the toe to to be closing or beating the heel, so to speak. You know, getting the toe in front. If you're hitting a big if you're hitting a big hook, it's the opposite. We have to feel like how we're trying to figure out how to match out the face a little more, you know, to the right, you know. Right. One of the other, you, you got you had two other tips that, you know, I, uh, I really enjoyed on your site. Um, first of all is play your percentages. Talk about right. what you mean by that. Yeah, exactly. There's that, uh, we did that video for the PGA of America, their uh, video DVD series, and, you know, I mean, you know, people people talk about, you know, should I go for it or should I not go for it? And I always say, listen, if you don't think in your mind you can hit this shot 70 or 80% of the time and pull it off, then you got no business doing it. 
You know, I mean, I, you, you can't you can't hit that one in ten shot every time. Uh, so, right. you know, I mean, uh, especially when you play in match play and you're playing in club events. We just got back from a, a, a trip to uh, we have the Oakmont versus Lock Loman Cup matches in uh, we where we take on a uh, Lock Loman Golf Club out of uh, they're just outside of uh, St Andrews, outside of Glasgow. Uh, we have a match versus them. They come here on the even. We go there on the odd. It's an unbelievable trip. And uh, wow, we just got back from over there. And you know, when you're playing in match play events, you know it's amazing how many times par is a really great score. You know, I right. mean, you can just wear people out with pars. And you know, so I play the percentage a lot. I I don't hit a ton of drivers anymore. I get it and play. I hit it long enough with my fairway woods or my you know the TaylorMade's got that new. Uh, mini driver out there, I get that thing in play and I just wear people out. Uh as far as as far as just keep it in a play. You know, I mean you don't always have to hit the driver. Par's a great score and it doesn't have to always be driver sandwich. It can be four iron, eight iron or four iron, seven iron. If you just and you can't believe how that, you know, has helped me, especially in match play situations. I've been a great match play player only for the you know, stake that I say, listen, I don't want to I don't want to make mistakes. I don't want to give. I don't want to hand people holes. I want them to make birdies. If they make birdies and they beat me, fine, you know. Uh, but I'm going to wear you out with pars, and that's that's playing the percentages. You got to do. Get it in the fairway. Sounds so cliche. Get it in the fairway. Get it on the green. If you don't get it on the green, get it next to it. Get it. Chip it up there close. Make the par. Make a par somehow. You will not lose match play events if you make a ton of pars. Unless you catch right. some buzzsaw and they go crazy on you with birdies, but that that really happens. Yeah, that sounds you know very reminiscent. Like I said, I'm a I'm a big Jack Nicklaus fan, and that's very reminiscent of you know how Jack approached you know particularly going into a final round of a major. You know, looking around, I remember you know people telling the story about you know all of the mm-hmm. rest of these guys are going to crumble, and I'm not. And, exactly. You know, yeah. You know, and he I'm going to go out there and ch- yeah. He knew it. They knew. He knew it. Everybody knew it. And, uh, you know, Jack just stood there and intimidated the heck out of him. And, you know, Jack, there's a great story about Jack. You know, I mean, he's, uh, Mike Malaska is a good friend of mine. Mike does the, the head of Nicholas uh, instruction worldwide. And he has this great story about uh, about Jack. And it was a, it was an unbelievable story. You know, when you're hearing this, you, you hear how this man thinks, you know. And it was crazy. He said, uh, Jack, how many putts do you think you've made inside of 10 feet during the majors? And he said, I made them all. He said, well, no, Jack, I mean, you had to, inside 10 feet, you had to make, miss something. D- didn't you miss that one at Augusta? And he said, I, yeah. I made them all. He goes, Mike's like, I really don't understand. I mean, you had to miss something. He goes, Mike, I hit the ball exactly, the ball went off exactly where the putter face was lined up at impact, therefore I made the putt. If it didn't go in, that's another story. The green didn't let it go in, but I made the putt. You know, so he, here he's thinking out, you know, we're like, that does, that's not reality, you know, but... That's how the mind, he's a bulletproof mind. And then he said to Mike, he said, I thought this was the best part of the story. He goes, Mike, let me ask you a question. And he goes, okay. Now Mike's trying to slide under his chair, getting out of the way, like, oh, God, what's Jack going to come at me now? He said, let me ask you a question. He said, do you have a favorite place that you can think of in the world? And he goes, do you have that? And he goes, yeah. He goes, where is it? And Mike said, you know, I was with my kids out on the beach, whatever it was. And he said, mine's standing over a five-footer to win a major. You know, everybody else is afraid of it. I'm not. He goes, I have a heightened sense of awareness. Everybody's afraid of it, and I'm not. You know, and that is there. So, Jack, he goes, thanks, Jack. He walked out the door like with a scolding. He got it, you know. But, you know, he, 
But I mean, Jack Jack thinks totally different than 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 other human beings. I mean, he he really really has a bulletproof mindset. And at the end of the day, I think that's what you know is the difference between. There's a lot of people that can lead a golf tournament for 70 holes or 71, but there are not many people that can lead it for 72. And he's that guy. You know, I mean, great champions like Tiger and Jack and Arnie and Hogan and, you know, Trevino and Watson, all these greats, they had it. They were not afraid to finish 72-hole events. And they, right. they, they, wanted the, they wanted the pressure. Everybody else is a little afraid of that heightened sense of awareness that you get, and they're pretty nervous about it, and these guys aren't. You know, they're totally in their, they're totally in their comfort zone. You know, for Jack right. to say his most comfortable spot in the world would be standing over a five-footer to win a major. I don't know that too many people deep down could really say that. You know, I mean. No. But yeah, I mean, everyone, oh, five footer to win. I mean, why couldn't I have it a foot? No, I mean, you know, I mean, he wants it five feet to win. Uh, you know, and he said, he said, you know, Mike said another thing to Jack. He said, you know, when you're, Jack, let me ask you a question. You're playing the Masters, and you've got a one shot lead, and you're making the turn. Are you nervous? And Jack came back immediately with, I'm playing great. Why would I be nervous? You know, and that's just the way he thinks. You know, that's I mean, you, great. Yeah, I mean, he just, he just, they think differently. You know, I mean, I think a lot of times we're we're fragile out there. You know, we hit a bad shot. Ooh, did I lose my swing? Ooh, you know. And those guys don't think about that. They think, well, that was a fluke, and I'm, you know, how am I going to make the next one? And that's it. Right. You know, I think that's a different mindset that that you know the great great players have. Yeah, and one of the other things that, that I love about Mr. Nicholas is, you know, when he he talks about, you know, people ask him all the time about, you know, this tournament and that tournament, and, you know, he doesn't remember any shot he hit or what he scored in the tournaments that he didn't win. But he can yeah. tell every yeah. single shot, every single club, every single, you know, putt, you know, that he made on a golf, you know, on the golf course, no matter where it was 40, 50 years ago, he can tell you, he can recount everything. But the ones he lost, doesn't remember. Yeah, I can't remember them. Geez, you know, did I play in that event? I you know, right. can't remember. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. And you're right, he will not, you know, someone said, you know, he said, hey, what did you do on the shank on 12? Said, I didn't hit shank. I don't know what you're talking about. You know, at Augusta, right. he flat out hit it off the hazel. You know, we all saw it. It was on TV. You know, I didn't, I didn't hit it on shank. What are you talking about? Can't remember right. it. But, but he'll remember. He can, Like you said, you know, when it was really cool when, we had the they had the 50 year anniversary of uh, Arnie and Jack two years ago, and so right. they both came out and they did that tremendous video with the USGA and, and they played it in front of the Open and and to watch them go around and yak at each other and say yeah you know I hit it right here you remember that I hit it here you hit it over there they knew every shot that the other guy had hit and wow it was so much fun we had this great. Great picture of Mr. Palmer and Mr. Nicholas are sitting there on the bench on the 10th tee, and our ladies' club champion, she was teeing off, and they were playing in the final round of the club championship, and here they are walking. There's, there's, not, like, there's not enough pressure. Now we got Arnie and Jack watching you guys. Wow. And, you know, there's a great picture of these two sitting on the bench watching, you know, our club champion tee off. I mean, it was, it was, it was amazing, you know, to watch them walk around and then have lunch and, and kind of look at and just they were they just they didn't play they walked around and they just talked and it was really really special to see that day you know it was just I to bet see your two was. legends oh I mean your two legends of all times you know walking around Oakmont and talking and and you know he well, obviously Jack remembered everything because he won <laughs> right 
Yeah, <laughs> you did. Um, one of the other things on your, on your site that I think is important, and we've had Gary Player on this show a couple of times, and you know what an exercise, you know, a nut Gary is. But you talk about you know stretching, and you just you got a brief one about you know golf cart stretching and yeah. how important that yeah. is. Talk about that. Yeah, you know, when I was playing on the Golden Bear Tour down in uh, Palm Beach Gardens, I worked for Randy Myers, and Randy's probably the, the you know, golf fitness expert, uh, the golf fitness expert in the world right today. He was uh, phenomenal. Now he's at Sea Island. And, you know, when I when I was playing on the Golden Bear Tour, I worked for Randy for a couple shifts a week so I could get pr- playing privileges at PGA National. And it was great. He taught me you know, tons about the body and how the body works and, and what to look for. And, you know, and, and, and golf-specific training is so different than, you know, other other training. But, you know, I always call it life-specific. You know, I mean, if you're having trouble getting out of your car, you're probably going to have trouble getting and doing a golf swing. So the first thing that we look for in fitness and golf is can you stretch? Are you Are you flexible enough? Is there something that's too tight? Is there a, is there a problem? Uh, and once we once we find out where your problems are, most of the first month or so in golf golf specific training, are stretches and cardio and and working that working that problem out. Then then you start getting into muscle growth, but you know muscle growth for golf is is it's a lot of high rep, low weight, high high energy reps, and and you don't want to be so muscle bound that you can't swing. You know, you look at you look at uh, some of the guys on tour anymore. They almost look like baseball players, or you know, I mean, they're yeah. or wide receivers. They're long, stretched out muscle mass. They're not bulked up totally. I mean, I think Tiger might have taken a little bit too far here, but uh, and you look at David Duvall, he might have taken it a hair too far back in his day as well. Now he totally looks different than what he used to. But uh, right, you know, I think you can hurt yourself if you're not doing it properly. And that golf course, you know, if you go on my website, you can view that stretch. I mean, I start, we start at the lower body, you start with the calves, then you go to the knees, then you go to uh, the glutes and the and the, uh, the uh, hamstrings and the, you know, basically glute muscles. You kind of work up, up the body. And it's a, you know, five-minute video to show you how to, you know, get loosened up. All of those, all of those things I was taught by Randy Myers. And, uh, and it's a great way, you know. I mean, the other thing that I see people do this mistake all the time, they get up to the tee, they take a club, put it on their back, and they start twisting like crazy, and you go, whoa, 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 whoa. You've got to try to, you've got to, try to lengthen the, the spine before you rotate it, you know. So we do a stretch where we, you know, hold onto the cart, put your buttocks back as far as you can, lean back, trying to stretch your back out before you do the rotation. If you start rotating before you stretch it out, it's a really... It's an appetite for disaster. You're going to hurt your body. So it's very wow, important. Wow, that's a good tip. Yeah, that's yeah, a great very, tip very right important. there. You can't, I, you, I know I'm guilty of that. We all, we are. Just watching it out there today on the tee, I'm watching all these guys warm up. They come up, pull that club across their back, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, they're going to kill them. So they're going to hurt. They're not going to be able to finish. You've got to try to stretch the back. You've got to loosen up, stretch it out, elongate it before you rotate it. You know, it's very, very important. Ah, that's a great tip right there. I wrote that one down. Yeah. I, so, Eric, like I mentioned also in your intro, you're on the advisory staff for TaylorMade Adidas Golf. Talk about what you're doing you know, in conjunction with them. Yeah, it's a great partnership. It's a, it's a great company. I'm so fortunate to be 
you know, in line with them. And I, you know, obviously lucky enough to choose any manufacturer that I want, and that's the one I wanted. And uh, I've played their product for uh, 14 years now, and I think they're doing some of the best stuff out there. You know, I get to, you know, being on the advisory staff is pretty cool. I get, you know, the newest product, and I get to, you know, hit it and get it before everybody else and see what it's like and, you know, put my little insight into it. They've got they, they've got their designers. They know what they're doing without me. But, you know, we get to talk about what we feel, you know, what we feel and what we like and what we don't like and painting patterns and uh, color schemes and things like that. But, you know, what fits your eye and what doesn't. It's uh, it's an awesome company. Mark King has uh, done an unbelievable job. Mark King was a CEO of TaylorMade, and he's just knocked it out of the park, made it, went from a $300 million to $1.8 billion in sales. I mean, when you start thinking of those numbers, it's incredible. But uh, right. obviously, you know, golf business, so, uh, golf business is in a little bit of trouble right now. I mean, it really is. The demographics of uh, some of the numbers of what we're seeing and uh, younger players and, you know, back in the days, my dad my dad was a banker. I mean, they closed the bank on Wednesdays at 1 o'clock. They all went and played golf. And right. that's not happening anymore, you know, and, and people aren't joining clubs the way they used to. Uh, I think the game is a, a, maybe a little bit of an identity crisis. I think it's it's losing it's losing players. We know that. The National Golf Foundation tells us we're down a million players every year for the last four years. That's four million players. Now, wow. where are they going? You know, that's an right. alarming statistic. You know, when you see Dick Sporting Goods, you know, uh, which Mr. Stack is a member here, and, uh, you know, they had, they just had, um, you know, they had let go of all their PGA professionals, you know, because right. the, the golf was just not uh, producing like it used to. You know, and that's a hard stat to, you know, accept and also see happen. But we've got to get people playing again. And we've got to make the game fun. And we got to, you know, I mean, I just, I hear that, you know, I mean, it takes a lot of time. I mean, think about it. You get in your car, you drive to the course, you get something to eat, whatever, you warm up, you play four, four and a half hours. Let's say it's slow and it's five. Now you're away from your home six, seven hours. That's a lot of time to spend away from the home. Right. And uh, so we've got to get some things to get the game moving a little bit and, and keep making it fun out there. Uh, you know, I mean, Mark King came out with this 15-inch cup and you play 14 holes. I've never done it, but I'd like to try it. I mean, but anything, anything to get people playing. And, you know, to me, that's that's what we need to really focus on. I think the USGA, you know, you know, they go on this, well, we've got to ban long putters, and then we've got to ban these grooves, and you say, well, wait a minute, what, why, why are you doing this? Well, we've got to protect the game. Well, from who? You've just lost right. 4 million players the last four years. Who are you protecting this game from? So right. I think they have an agenda where they're trying to protect it, and I think that uh, some of us are trying to grow it. And I don't want to see it. I don't want to see it. You lose another million players. Now, what happens if you know? Let's let's say you know if you give some guy a long putter and he can shake it in from four feet or three feet or two feet for that matter, and he plays around the golf. I'd much rather have that than saying, "Hey, we're going to ban this." You know, it doesn't make you, you know, well, it's cheating. It's not to the fundamentals of the rules. Well, we used to play with persimmon heads and wooden shafts. <laughs> I mean, uh, is that the tradition? Is a tradition of the game, a big white 460, you know, CC head? Now, come on, guys. I mean, let's right. let's not go crazy here. But, you know, I mean, we're not giving you the keys to the store, but let's, let's let people play, right? I mean, we're not yep. going to make it, you know, it's that easy where everyone shoots, if you everyone shot 59, no one would play. But, right. uh, you know, so 
but you have to make it where people can enjoy it. And now if a weekend player needs a long putter to shake it in there from two feet, have at it. You know, I mean, yeah. if you want to change, if you want to, everyone says, well, bifractional rules are terrible. Well, wait a minute, hold on. What? If a tour player, if you want to change their golf ball, go ahead. If you want to change their equipment, go ahead. Don't change the amateur player. Let them do whatever the heck they want. Those are the people that are growing this game. They're the ones that are playing it. Think of it. There's 150 tour players on the tour, 200, let's say, and there's the girls, and then there's the the Champions Tour, and then there's the uh, web.com, and let's say there's 2,000. There's 2,000 playing professionals. There's 24 million that other ones, you know, so why are we making the rules just on for these, these elite players? It doesn't make sense. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of forward by fractional rules. I mean, I think we should be building a driver that goes 400 yards. I think we should make a golf ball that goes 400 yards. Let people experience how much fun that could be. I, I, I'm totally the opposite way. I mean, make it, make it easier. If you want to make something that goes 400 yards for an amateur player and he's kicking around with his pals and saying, wow, look at how the ball just went 400 yards, great, have at it. You know, I'm all for it. You know, if that's fun and that's what, you know, makes people play the game, I'm all for it. It doesn't have to be harder. No, and that's, you know, you know to, to the spirit of what you're talking about, Eric, I mean, I think you're dead on. And, you know, mm-hmm. to come up, you know, and to say that, you know, the game hasn't evolved from where it was, you know, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 80 years ago, I mean, it's crazy, to your point. I mean, equipment and the golf ball are so much different than, you know, what guys played for. You know, we've talked an awful lot, you know, during, during you know, our time here about Mr. Nicholas and Mr. Palmer. I mean, they, you know, goodness knows how far and what they could have done with the oh, golf ball God. that we're playing with today and the, and the equipment we've got now. Oh, I, you know, I mean, and Jack's just mad about it because everybody can do it now. He used to do something nobody can. Now everybody can. And he just uh, can't can't get his hands around it. You know, I mean, Jack used to hit it 360, and he won that back when they had the long drive at the PGA Championship. He won it. He, shot, he hit it 362 yards or something crazy like that. So think right. about with that equipment and hitting it 360 yards, what he might have done today. You know, right. I mean, no, no wonder some of the golf courses, uh, you know, we're blessed because we have opens and we can get out of some debt and we can make changes to the golf course and lengthen it and we're not landlocked. I mean, we can make some changes to the golf course where we can make the guys be able to still play it. You know, but there are a lot of clubs that are that can't say that. They can't go back to some of these because they're landlocked because they equipment. And I say for that, you know, if you if you want to change it for a tour player, you want to change it, restrict the ball, make 10% of it come out, go ahead. But I think again, the manufacturers figure this out. You know, the manufacturers they test they test the uh, equipment at 100 miles an hour. Now, manufacturers are pretty good at this. They figure out, hey, they're testing the 100. What happens if we swing at 115? Well, incrementally at 110 miles an hour, that ball goes incrementally further with the new equipment and the new balls than it does at 100. And they figured it out. They know it. So they've they've gotten past the USGA on that alone. You know, right. so, I mean, the USDA tests at 100 miles an hour, shoot the ball at 100 miles an hour, they see how fast it comes off the club. They don't do it at 115 like some of these guys are swinging. So the manufacturers, the internal, waited and do some, done some stuff where they make that ball go, and it and it looks like it never falls out of the sky. It just keeps going. Yeah. So, you know, and it's incrementally. It's incrementally. All I can tell you is it's incrementally. Once you get over 105, 107 miles an hour, that ball starts doing stuff, and you go, wow, how did that happen? It's they, right. they figure it out. They're smarter than we are. They figure it out. They get all these <laughs> engineers sitting in a room figuring this stuff out. I'm trying to teach people how to play golf, but 
<laughs> they, they they know what they're doing. Yeah, they do. And you 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 make a great point there a, a moment ago, Eric, about you know your golf course is, is you know you got land. You're not you know you're not landlocked and that sort of thing. We had Dave Harner on the show uh, a week or so ago, and Dave was talking. He is the the uh, director of golf uh, up at the French Lick Course, uh, yep. where they've got the, the PGA. Yep. You know, coming next year, and they just had a women's legend event. But their Pete Dye course out there, you know, from you can play eighty one hundred yards. Yeah, I mean, come on, <laughs> like, is that where we're going? We're going to eighty one hundred yard golf courses. Yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, you think of all the great the great golf courses that they've made obsolete, and you know, right, Marion. Well, yeah, Marion. I mean, they, they they, you know, I mean, how many? Th- I don't think Phil had a driver in his bag, did he? He played with that nuclear three wood, and you know, I mean. Now, I don't, you know, I mean, it's a, it's, Marion's an unbelievable place, but, you know, I mean, time might have not been kind to it because the ball goes so far, you know, so if you right. want to restrict those guys, go ahead, but don't do it to the, don't do it to the poor amateur that's out there trying to finish, you know, right. and break 85. I mean, we know the stats on that, too. I mean, what is it, 15% of the population can't break 85, or can break 85. So, I mean, we got 85% of the population can't break 85. You know, so now we need to make it harder, and we can't, we're not going to give them grooves, and we're not going to give them long putters and all this stuff. Come on. What, what, right. what, are, we, what are we talking about here? Let's <laughs> let people finish. Let them have fun. And I think that's there at the end go. of the day, you know, that's what it's all about. Eric, you, you've been fantastic. Boy, I could talk to you about golf all day long. Um, but... You know, before I let you go, you know, one more thing. Just how can you know talked about you know how our listeners can find you online and then uh, follow you on social media. Yeah, thanks. You know, I'm, I, you can look at uh, EricJohnsonGolf.com. That's my website. Um, I wish I did more social media. I, I don't do a ton of it. I, I I know everyone's kicking me to say I need to do more of it. I'm gonna um, redoing my website and making it a little more interactive where people can see more stuff from me and get sign up for weekly tips and all this stuff. But uh, ericjohnsongolf.com, and uh, I appreciate you having me on the show, and thanks, Chris, for all your success in this show. And, again, thanks to all the men and women out there doing what they're doing. We appreciate it. You know, we get to play golf because you guys are suffering a little bit, but really appreciate it. Now, nah, outstanding. Eric. Thank you so much for joining me this morning, taking time out of your morning. You're fantastic. I can't believe that we, we talked for the whole hour and it went by in a blink of an eye. I hope you'll come back you know, and join me sometime because uh, you know, I'd love to get, continue to get your insights on what's going on you know, around the game of golf, around the tour, and then I'll you know, obviously staying up to date with what's, uh, what's happening in Oakmont. Like I say, a golf course, being a, being a Pittsburgh kid, it's, uh, it's near and dear to my heart. Yeah, well, it's on your bucket list. We need to get it off the bucket list. And you call any time. I'd love to do it, and I appreciate it. And, you know, again, congratulations on your success of the show. All right, Eric. Thank you very much. We'll catch up again real soon. All the best to you, your family, and everyone out there at Oakmont. Chris, thanks, buddy. Talk to you later. All right, take care, Eric. Bye-bye. Thanks, guys. Wow. What what an hour. Holy cow. I can't believe I look up and, you know, the, and the hour is gone and, you know, got the opportunity to speak with Eric. What a what a wonderful guest. What a wonderful guy and, and a great teacher. And, again, ericjohnsongolf.com. And Eric's with the C, so E-R-I-C, ericjohnsongolf.com. A lot of great videos, a lot of great tips, and uh, that, uh, that stretch one is uh, going into my routine every day now. All right, everybody, it's time to put a bow on this one. Like I say, my sincere thanks to Eric and, uh, and for you for tuning in and listening this, this morning. I appreciate you guys the very most. 
Please also be sure to check out our sister show, Thursday Night Tailgate, with me, uh, my co-host Bob Lazari, and our announcer Joe Lajanusa. You can hear us right here on Armed Forces Sports Radio as well as Blog Talk Radio, TuneIn, Spreaker, SoundCloud, StitcherPlayer.fm. If you want to take us with you on your mobile devices, you can also download the show off of iTunes. We're on radio sites across the Internet, so please check us out. That show airs every Thursday night from 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time. We're joined every week by legends you know, from around the NFL and the Canadian Football League as well. Uh, check out both show sites on Facebook. Give us a like. That's very important to us, too. So next on the T and Thursday Night Tailgate, you can find us online. This show, nextonthetea.net and thursdaynighttailgate.com. You can stream or download any of our archived episodes by going on there. And uh, you'll find out uh, who some of our featured guests are coming up. You can stay, stay up to date with those. And shoot us a message on Facebook if there's a question that you'd like for us to ask one of our upcoming guests. We're glad to get that on the air for you as well. All right, and until next week, my friends, hit them straight. the choice of a crispy chicken BLT to Wendy's 4 for 4 is the biggest thing since rappers trying to sing. I got me out and I sound like a robot. But do you like the sound of this? Wendy's 4 for 4 now comes with a choice of a junior bacon cheeseburger or a crispy chicken BLT. From Detroit to Macon, I keep it crisp like bacon. Both are topped with crispy applewood smoked bacon and come with four nuggets, fries, and a Coke for just four bucks. Oh, yeah. And participating Wendy's for a limited time, meal includes small fries and a drink. Not valid in Alaska and Hawaii. Great things are happening at your friendly neighborhood Safeway. Stop by and see all the things that make a supermarket just better. Like new low everyday prices on family favorites. Shop with your club card and pick up bananas for an incredible 48 cents a pound. And for an easy, delicious dinner, get whole roasted chicken for only $4.98. Bigger selections, friendlier smiles, lower prices. Safeway, it's just better. 